All right, welcome back to the program. Standing by for Bruce Cassidy, newly minted head coach of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. In the meantime, a little uh, snapshot into how petty I am. So one of my favorite hockey follows on Twitter is uh, someone named at hockey underscore samurai. Do you follow hockey samurai, everybody? You really should if you don't. Hockey Samurai is a great follow. It's a great follow for historical videos, historical facts, like really obscure historical videos and pictures as well. And so he's got one up there right now uh, about John Garrett, our buddy Cheech in Vancouver. And this is the latest tweet that went out. This is from a couple of hours ago. John Garrett had some gorgeous masks. Here are four of them. Which one is the best? Toronto Toros, Quebec Nordiques, Hartford Whalers, Vancouver Canucks. Hashtag WHA, hashtag Nordiques, hashtag Whalers, hashtag hashtag Canucks. Now, the correct answer (laughs) is the uh, Toros slash Bulls mask, which for my money is, and I've told John this before, is the most beautiful goalie mask I think I've ever seen. Now, Dave Dryden, the man, WHA had great masks. Dave Dryden, uh, Ken Dryden's brother, when he played for the Chicago Cougars of the WHA, he had a great one too. Like the two best ones, I shouldn't say best because that's all subjective. My favorite two masks of all time, John Garrett's Bulls and Dave Dryden's Chicago Cougars. Now there's a lot, like, listen, Cobras was great. Jogathons was great. 70s was a great era for masks. Actually, you know, John Davidson's um, Lone Ranger mask was really good too when he was with the Rangers. That was a really, that's an underrated mask. No one really mentions that. That doesn't get splashed out there very much. Cobra gets out there a ton. Um, Graton certainly does. But John Garrett's Lone Ranger mask, very subtly was a great mask. But for my money, John Garrett's Bulls mask from the WHA and Dave Dryden's Chicago, the best masks of all time. So the story, and by the way, that mask is gonzo because he painted over it when he went to the New England Whalers and then the Quebec Nordiques and then the Vancouver Canucks. Anyway, the poll is up right now at, uh, at, at Hockey Samurai. And I checked in with Garrett and he said, quote, uh, he painted over it with the Whalers logo, then the Rodiques logo, then the Vancouver Canucks logo. So same mask, just different paint jobs. And you can see the difference of what a goaltender goes through when you look at the old Birmingham Bulls mask and then look at what that same mask looked like by the time he got to playing with the Vancouver Canucks. Check it out at Hockey Samurai. Meanwhile, uh, pleased to welcome to the program. He is the newly minted head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. He is Bruce Cassidy, and he joins me now. Bruce, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm doing terrific, uh, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the, ple- the pleasure is all mine. And I know that life works at two speeds, uh, super slow and super fast. And the last couple of weeks of your life, Bruce, have been super fast. Uh, before we get in and drill down on, on Vegas and your new team and your roster and the future, etc., can you give us a snapshot of what this super fast feeling two weeks has been for Bruce Cassidy? Well, it was certainly some some lows and highs in that order. Uh, just uh, disappointed to, to not be able to go back to Boston originally. It was, uh, you know, I've been there 14 years in the organization. So, you know, you, you sort of lick your wounds from, from that, um, that news and console your, your children and, and people are calling. And then, then all of a sudden the phone's ringing and now you're ramping up and, and you know, you're sort of, on to the next challenge and digging into that. And it's kind of, you know, ends in Vegas and you're out here and it's kind of a really, you know, I don't know, exhilarating feeling the way, you know, the team operates and being in the same organization now going to one where, you know, they do things a little differently and, you know, you see the synergy in the, in, in the, the front office and the, the business side of it and the hockey ops and just the, the vibe around here is, is terrific. And so two great hockey markets are just, yeah. So maybe different in terms of, of the energy level on here versus there because of the weather and, and uh, just the newness of the, the Knights versus an original six franchise. So, uh, like I said, two great franchises, but just in kind of sort of the different histories, right? 
Yeah, and you know, it, it's interesting too because um, I mean, it almost seemed like right away, like you didn't give your see yourself any chance to to feel sorry for you. It seemed like if, you know, five minutes after we got the news. Um, you know, I get a phone call. Hey, Bruce Cassidy's talking to Dallas. I'm like, wow, that was <laughs> that 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 moved uh, that moved pretty quickly. He's not standing around feeling sorry for himself here. Um, you know, the interesting thing about you going from Boston to Vegas is, I look at the two teams and I say there are more similarities between the two than there are differences. And listen, you're a coach and you're a lot closer to it, and you may think that I'm full of it when I say that. But one of the more obvious ones that I look at is, you know, Bruce, you've gone from you know a, a really interesting position where you get to you had you know you had the best you know two-way center in the game and Patrice Bergeron now you know you have one of the best two-way wingers in the game in Mark Stone when you look at the two rosters are they more similar or more different than each other no you're right they're, they're more similar um uh I I think um you know, the the forward group has some real veteran guys that have been in the league and had success, right, with, with Stone, you know, Pacioretty. Um, you got the original line here, Marcia, So Carlson, and, and uh, Smith that have been here now five years. Um, and you got young Jack Eichel. So m- maybe that's the difference, that young pivot in the middle of the ice. And I think Chandler Stevenson's very underrated, but um, that's probably, the you know, the key acquisition for them, a young, you know, number one centerman. Um and then our job now is to get him to to learn how to play winning hockey and, and relish that. So, uh, but you're right. The back end, uh, you know, McAvoy and, and Lindholm now in Boston, some some young guys that can really play minutes and impact the game. We have Theodore and Petrangelo here. So I don't know enough about Rob and Leonard yet to compare them to. We had younger guys maybe in Swayman and and Allmark. But yes, teams that have had some playoff success, been close to the cup the last five or six years, but haven't quite got there. So. Yeah, I feel a lot of the same. Um, I'll get to know a little more, obviously, once we get on the ice and get going. Yeah, with Bruce Cassidy, uh, newly minted head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm curious about Jack Eichel as well. And it's always nice when you have a Ferrari in the driveway to take out, uh, but you have to be very delicate when you drive it. Um, how do you plan? How do you plan to handle Jack Eichel? I mean, here's someone who you know his whole career has talked about, you know, wanting to win, needing to win. I mean, geez, this goes back to his BU days as well. Um, how do you handle someone like this who's you know amongst the elite when it comes to skill in the NHL at the at the center position? Well, yes, it's great to have a, a player like that, and you got to get the best out of him. And I think we'll sit down with Jack. I, I know him a little bit from Boston. He used to skate in summer yep. with our guys that were around, and our skills coach uh, in Boston was real good. For, you know, worked with him at a young age, so there's a rapport there. So that's good going in. You have something, um, and then it's it's a matter of you know him valuing um, you know the team aspect, the team success. And, and what that does to your individual success, how much may or may not take away from it, but knowing that, that, that you know, the first one's the most important thing. So I think every coach goes through that with young players and the challenge. And um, Buffalo, unfortunately, there was a lot, I think a lot of pressure on Jack to do everything. Uh, he won't yep. have that here. Uh, so that's the first thing we'll attack is, you know, you need to be the best person of Jack Eichel, but you don't have to do everything every night. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that plays out. I think there's a great, great cast around him uh, that has been playoff tested uh, and I think Jack that's what Jack wants in, in my estimation he wants to be a relevant player in the National Hockey League playoffs and and you know give himself a legitimate and best shot to win the cup that's where I feel he's at in his career and, and that's mm-hmm. what Vegas wants out of him so I think it's a great marriage that way the um you know Boston and Vegas didn't play very often ones in the east and, and and ones in the west but from the the times that you mixed with the Vegas Golden Knights what did you come away thinking about this Vegas team well i thought they were dynamic in terms of they could score goals uh, if you weren't uh, managing the puck and and checking well uh, i thought they were big uh, they could play that that style of game as well um, you know, solid goaltending. Um, obviously, I remember, you know, Leonard Flurry, that didn't matter who went in there, that's changed a little over the years. But, um, and, and they had, a, I don't know, a certain amount of confidence about them after that first year that they came in and sort of just shocked the hockey world and they just built off that, that, hey, we're, we're here, we're established. And, and they did it in a hurry. So uh, you always felt that uh, you'd better be on your toes. You know, there's certain teams in the league. You got to be prepared every night, Jeff. Don't get me wrong, but there's certain teams mm-hmm. in the league. You know, you you can you can slip a little and say, okay, we can get this back and still sort of land the plane here and get our our two points. So, 
Uh, Vegas wasn't going to be one of those teams. So, like I said, that to me, is, that's just the mark of a very good team that you better be ready to go for. And I always felt that's who they were. You know, it, it's. Uh, I think a lot of us are looking forward to what you're going to be able to do here with the, with this Vegas team and, and how different it is going to look. Like, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, uh, under, under Peter DeBoer, a lot of the offense was created using point shots that made rebounds and created rebounds. So unlike a lot of other teams in the NHL, we saw a lot of shots from the point, from the from the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, you have your own style. You're your own coach. You have your own philosophies and ideas. How different do you think this team will look next season, just just stylistically, like, like how this Vegas Golden Knights team plays? Well, obviously, examine skill sets once you know you get to know your team better. And, and you'd hope the forwards group would be more receptive to playing a little lower towards the net, using the slot a little more, looking there first, uh, controlling pucks below the goal line. I think that's one of the more difficult areas to, to sort out coverage quickly. So, and, and then the willingness to get inside. And some of that's the makeup of the player. Uh, I think Pete's a great court coach, great guy. Um, you know, um, so I can't argue with, you know his success, but at the end of the day, I'm uh, more dr- driven to create offense lower uh, off cycle plays. Obviously, rush matters, and I think it's always been a, a good rush team in Vegas. That shuts down a little more in the, in the playoffs. I think everyone's aware of that. So you have to build your, your you know, your ozone offense, and whether it's point shots or or kind of closer to the net. I've always started closer to the net, and then worked my way up. Now, you know, again. Uh, I think getting pucks through from the point is a, one of the most underrated skills in the NHL of all the layers of coverage. So if those mm-hmm. D have those skills, then yeah, I can understand why you do that as well, because that does generate offense in the playoffs too. So like every coach, you're trying to find the right balance, but I think keeping the puck in the forwards hands a little longer, a little lower might, might excite them and appeal to them. So that's one of the, one of the areas we're going to certainly look at and attack. Do you, um, and speaking of Bruce Cassidy, new head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, Bruce, do you have a, a sense of any of the differences between the conferences? You know, once upon a time, not too long ago, the Western Conference was considered to be a, a conference that moved a little bit quicker. You had to make your decision a little bit quicker, uh, specifically as a, as a, as a, as a defenseman. Um, you know, has the league sort of normalized and, you know, the, the two conferences are sort of skating at the same speed or, you know, one, one is one conference, you know, stronger than the other, one conference quicker than the other. Have you noticed any sort of appreciable difference between the East and the West? Uh, n- not really. And, and obviously that's something that coming this direction where, you know, using your staff and, and, and management to, to get you up to speed on that quicker will help. It's just like with the travel, with, with a lot of different things that happen. Practice time out here, I know, is, is I've been told, has been severely limited compared to the East. So, And I'm a big believer in practice. So those are some things I'll have to adjust to. But at the end of the day, you, know, you can look on the surface East this year. Every team had 100-plus points getting in. It was, you know, uh, yes, does that mean we were top-heavy because some of the other teams didn't push us like they did in the West? So... I don't know the answers to all those questions until you, you sort of go through it and live it. But like I said, I'm going to rely on on uh, on people's feedback on that early on. Um, the end of the day, to me, Jeff, there's always there's really solid teams on each side. You, you never get an easy path to the finals, uh, yeah. no matter you know, no matter who you are. I just I just feel that way stylistically. Again, um, yeah, there probably is a few differences that that I'm not aware of yet or hundred percent aware of because, you know, we do play the West, but my focus yeah. has always been on the East. You know, the other thing is when you're, when you're sitting around, uh, you know, watching hockey for me, it's always been the East because that's who I'm playing against. So if we're not playing one night and the Tampa's playing New York or something on TV, I'm watching it. I'm not staying up to watch, you know, LA and San Jose, unfortunately, because you know, I'm going to bed. I got to get up to work in the morning. So you miss a lot yeah. of some of that, just the, the casual interest of watching a hockey game. Um, my eyes always go to, you know, to the East Coast games. What, uh, two questions for you. One about Vegas, and I want to get back to one final on the Boston Bruins. Um, what are you most looking forward to? Not necessarily about the team, but just Vegas itself. Like, just the name Vegas, the city Vegas, uh, the strip, the mystique, all of it. Uh, it's impossible to say the word Vegas and not have a million images pop to mind. What are you looking forward to the most? Not of the hockey, but everything about Vegas. Well, just what you said. I mean, I think we come in here, you're, you're, you land, you're on, you're on the strip, and you play, you know, you maybe have a day, you, 
you play your game and you leave. So I haven't seen the outside community, and I'm going to go see it today. As a matter of fact, I'm staring at it right now, and mm-hmm. I'm curious about that, the lifestyle here, because everyone I've ever talked to that's lived here in, in, in hockey, you know, the, even the old East Coast League team, everybody, it's like it's a fantastic place to live. You're going to meet a lot of people that come here from different parts of the every, all over the United States, and so so it's it's kind of an, uh, an intriguing and interesting sort of, um, communities and, and who you're going to run into. I'm a golfer, so that'll be nice to tee up a ball in January on an off day uh, as opposed to shoveling the snow. But and then the adjustment of you know my kids play minor you know minor hockey, so now I'm told well you know the away game is in in Los Angeles, not 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 half an hour up the road from Winchester to uh, you know to Andover. So <laughs> it's going to be an adjustment for my wife uh, uh, going away and stuff. So those are some things too out here that um, just, and again just to be a lifestyle, I think. Boston's busy. It's hectic. Uh, it takes forever to get anywhere. Um, passionate fan base. I love all the sports here. That's only the Raiders, right? And, uh, and and the hockey team. So that'll be a little bit different in terms of the, you know, the sports town mentality. And the, you know, but it was Boston, New York, all the time. You know, anybody from New York was an idiot if you're from Boston, and vice versa. And here, I don't know. You know, you know that that part of the kind of the sports. Uh, uh, rivalries and all, all those things, but at the end of the day, uh, we're coming here with eyes wide open, looking forward to it. Uh, should be, a, you know, a great opportunity, not only uh, hockey wise, but you know, for our family to see a different way. Of, I don't want to say different way of life, but just sort sure. of a, a different pace of life. Maybe is, is a better way to put it. <clears throat> totally get it. I've got sixty seconds left with you. Maybe not enough time to talk about this one player, but I've always felt that Charlie McAvoy was criminally underrated that here's someone, like, in my Norris ballot, like, he's a top three guy, and I've had him in the top three for a number of years. Um, I've always felt that he's an underrated defenseman. Uh, A, what was it like coaching him? And, you know, uh, essentially what I'm asking you to do here is, 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 is bang a drum for Charlie McAvoy, who I really do believe needs to be put in that conversation with the great defensemen around the NHL. He should be. He's uh, no maintenance. He's easy to coach in terms of, uh, what he what he wants uh, can impact the game physically much more than most defensemen that are on that ballot. I think that's what hurts Charlie. Uh, he doesn't have the maybe the numbers of a Yossi of the world. He's building his power play game, Jeff, and he's going to be very good at it. But that's where he's behind a little bit in terms of, uh, and it might be, just be a little bit of how we play on the power play where we go to our forwards a lot more. So I can't say enough good things about Charlie. He should be on the ballot. Maybe he'll get his due. Um, next year or the year after. I know there's a lot of good young defensemen, but I think they they don't give him enough credit for how good a defensive player he is and how he impacts the game that way, playing against the top guys every night. Yeah, sir, I agree 100%. Uh, listen, Bruce, uh, I've kept you for a long time. Really appreciate it. I know it's a busy day uh, in Vegas. Um, listen, best of luck with the team. Uh, it's exciting times as always. Never a dull moment in Vegas, and you're right in the middle of it. Thanks so much for taking time today. All right, Jeff. Take care. There is Bruce Cassidy is the uh, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, introduced to the media yesterday. Uh, a really interesting fit. When you do look at, I mean, listen, Vegas is more of a veteran team. Boston, more of a veteran team. He goes from Charlie McAvoy to Alex Petrangelo. He goes from Patrice Bergeron to Jack Eichel and Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, to say nothing of having Brad Marchand and David Pasternak before. It seems as if this fit is hand-to-glove. Bruce Cassidy and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Hour two is on the horizon. Thanks to uh, Vegas Golden Knights, by the way, PR for making Bruce available. Uh, Gord Selleck joins me in a couple of moments. Trevor Georgie, GM and president of the St. John Sea Dogs, at the bottom of Hour Two. That's right ahead on the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Don't forget, bottom of the hour, Trevor Georgie, who is the president and general manager of the St. John Sea Dogs, will stop by St. John, the host city, uh, the Sea Dogs, the host team for the Memorial Cup. Schwinnigan is in from the Q, Hamilton from the OHL, and from the West, it is the powerhouse, Edmonton Oil Kings. And Trevor Georgie, very much like Steve Steos in Hamilton, Kyle Raftus in Sault Ste. Marie another name to keep an eye on as front offices shuffle and change and get massaged 
uh, in the offseason. Just remember that name, Trevor Georgie. Uh, in the meantime, we all remember this name and all know this name. Uh, he is Gord Stellick. Uh, he's a good friend of the program, uh, fills in on, uh, for me on a regular basis, is also the co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. Dr. G, how are you today? I am good. Uh, yeah, all those guys you mentioned, too, I think are wealthy. What's that? All, all those all those people, Kyle Raftis and Steve Steos and Trevor Georgie? Well, anyone involved in ownership, it's been a great investment the last uh, the last little while, right? Oh, you got that right, man. Yeah, it's, uh, good for them. I mean, good for them. I'm not saying it whimsically. I mean, good for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I just uh, talked to Bruce Cassidy a couple of moments ago and, you know, introduced to the media yesterday as the new head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights and was kind of making the point, Gordon, we'll, we'll start with Vegas here. We'll get into the, the, the Stanley Cup final in a couple of seconds. But, um, you know, Vegas is one of those teams that when you look at the team that Cassidy has left uh, to the team that he has joined, it seems as if it's a more similar than different team to the Boston Bruins. It is a veteran squad. Certainly the goaltending makeup is is different. Um, but it's uh, an older squad with an accent on defense. Your thoughts on the uh, the Bruce Cassidy uh, the Bruce Cassidy situation with Vegas? Him, you know, getting fired from Boston two weeks later. He's the new head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, Jeff. Even like you know, you look at uh, the Bruins next year. What they're saying: Charlie McAvoy, Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, all going to be injured to start the season. And what team? was ravaged more by injuries last year than the Vegas Golden Knights. So hopefully a, yeah. a, a similarity that doesn't continue. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a great comparable. Um, and, and the expectation has been, you know, for Boston every year. I mean, they're the Bruins. And we know that uh, Claude Julien was on the verge of being fired on the, the year they won the Stanley Cup, right, if they didn't come back and win that series against Montreal. So they've got those kind of almost unfair expectations, although really, um, if you're supporting a team, you got to love it that every year it's uh, it's kind of win it all or bust mentality. Certainly Vegas has been uh, a lot uh, less quick to pull the trigger on coaches. So Cassidy had a, had a great run, great run with the Boston Bruins, but you know, he had them competitive all the time, but you're, you're, you're right about that. You know, the, the, the team set up and, and, and you know it as well, Jeff, talking to people, that um, play in, or talk about players that playing in Boston, and it starts from Bergeron, and I don't know where it is in Vegas or not about the players that also have bought into that unselfish mentality that it is something you go there, and it's not just expected by the coaching staff, but also the players that are there, a certain style that you've got to adhere to, that the team is bigger than the individual. And I, I'm not, you know, you know maybe is, is that something that Vegas Mark Stone. needs? Yeah, Mark well, Stone. okay, he'd be, Mark, Mark, he'd be one, and of course, guy. well, I, again, they, sh- they should be those kind of guys, and they probably are, and of course, the big reason, and then, of course, Mark Stone's injury uh, was, was devastating, but, you know, you're right in that sense, I mean, that's the kind of thing, the other, the Bruins have it for a longer period of time, but I think it's a good comparable, you're right, about Vegas being like kind of the Bruin team he's leaving in 2022. You know, sticking with Vegas, um, they do a deal yesterday with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Shea Weber's contract in exchange for Yevgeny Dodonov. Uh, do you have a thought on this one from from both sides? I mean, from from both sides' point of view, it looks to me this is a cap deal for the Habs and it's a cap deal for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. No. Is there something I'm missing? Because Kent Hughes did kind of allude to it. Like, why do you need to move um, Shea Weber's contract? It's going to be on long term disability regardless so uh, I, the I, I think the the idea is that you want as much cap flexibility as possible and if you have both uh shea weber and carrie price on ltir next season the possibility there does exist it's 18.5 over the salary cap and that just that just completely free like you're not you're not able to accrue any cap space that way this way if you move shea weber and carrie price is able to either play uh, and if he is, he's either a Montreal Canadian or he could be traded. That way you open up cap space to accrue fe- uh, 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 other cap space so you can make some moves come deadline time. Otherwise, so, yeah, yeah. You're, so you're, I- you're, you're, com- you're completely frozen up against the cap. So obviously it's the the, the carry price factor if he were to join yes. him on it. So you're so I was going to say like there is it, it gets a little convoluted, but there were there were implications that way that I understand. I also you know cash in cash out. It's um, you know Shea Weber. I, hey. The guy was legitimately hurt. We know that. 
But, you know, he this is, if not the last, one of the last of those back-diving contracts. That really, he was supposed to retire anyway on this 14-year contract. His cash payout is just $3 million this year and then yeah. $1 million the next three seasons, right? I mean, that was kind of the nudge-nudge, wink-wink, the way those things were done way back when. And, and, you know, Marion Hossa was a great example about playing pretty well a full season. But then, you know, the next year when his back-diving contract came into play. But anyway, it gets the 5 million cap space they thought they had when they had traded to Donoff originally, and that didn't work out. So you're right about that with uh, in, in Vegas's case, because that's what they, the valuable commodity they got to create. And in Montreal's case, I mean, do you think, Jeff, do, do they um, have reason to keep to Donoff or not? Do they value him? I mean, he, I, I like the way he played in Vegas after the trade yeah. was nixed. I thought, I thought he came back and played pretty strong. So I don't know whether Ken think, Hughes and company have a, if they're going to move him somewhere else or if he's just going to be a guy, one-year contract left at $5 million cap hit that they, uh, they see yeah. what happens. I think, I mean, at the end of all, depending on what the Montreal Canadiens is going to look like, we know this is a rebuild, but you still need some players there. And this is a, a one one year, as you mentioned, one year left on the contract. So either it works out for this season, uh, and maybe there's an extension um, for Yevgeny Dodonov, or he becomes someone that you can move come trade deadline time. The, the interesting thing to me, and this hasn't been answered yet either, is, you know, if you look at the no-trade situation with the Donoff uh, after the situation with Anaheim at trade deadline. It became pretty obvious to everybody, Gord, that the teams that the Donoff didn't want to go to, it wasn't for any particular reason other than a tax reason. And that was it. He did not, you know, was not interested in playing for a team in either a state or province that had a high taxation rate. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Which makes this one even the more curious. Like, did he have to waive to go to Montreal, was that on his list? Because last time I checked, that's more than 50% uh, provincial uh, provincial tax here. Th- that question hasn't been answered yet. Like, how did the Donoff, was, was he on the, the, the no-trade list? Did this, Did he have to waive in order to, to, to get to Montreal? That's still one that we don't have any clarity yeah. on because if he was putting teams on there just because of the tax situation, you know, Montreal is probably the worst one in the entire NHL board. Well, well, two things. Okay, and 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 one is there could be an appeal about Montreal. Who knows? You know, who knows that? You know, knows that. Oh, Anaheim uh, Part Two. Here we go again. <laughs> well, what, whatever that has it. Uh, I don't know. Whatever, whatever. But but you know, the other part, Jeff, about and I know we keep hearing no tax state Florida and all these. We understand, but you know, New York City is an expensive city. Chicago's an expensive city. Boston's an expensive city. You're playing sure. in Montreal as well. In Canada, you're getting American money. I mean, I mean that that mitigates whatever tax issues in a big way. I think the average person, if all of a sudden it got converted to American money and you know mm-hmm. you talk to different agents and they talk about their accountants and 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 there's ways that they can again I'll use that word mitigate whatever the tax implication so um I, I just always say it's not it's not the end of the world in in that regard so you know may, maybe one or the other uh, or both were the reasons why it wasn't on his no-fly list yeah, you know the um, you know Ken Hughes uh, essentially saying yesterday too. We hope to have you know more news like this uh, about the future of the Montreal Canadiens. As you know, we all know this is the rebuild, and there will be players. And Jeff Petrie might be the obvious one, and he might be the next domino to fall. I've you know wondered and discussed publicly whether he could be the replacement for John Klingberg on that blue line uh, with the Dallas Stars. As you know, Klingberg will most likely shuffle off to somewhere to either you know Seattle, maybe even Montreal. You know, that idea has been out there before. We'll see what happens with Pittsburgh and Chris Letang. Klingberg could be a fit there. Uh, so we shall see. You know, one of the people that I that I wonder about is is Josh Anderson. And Anderson still has significant term. His uh, AAV is $5.5 million. And the one team that I wonder about is the team that he came from, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, is, is, there, is there a chance that Columbus might try to get Josh Anderson back? I don't know. I just put it out there as a, uh, as a conversation starter. But when you look around this Montreal Canadiens uh, roster, whether it's Petrie, whether it's Anderson, whether it's Paul Byron, whether it's uh, Brendan Gallagher, whether it's Jonathan Drouin, you know, who are some of the more you know, likely candidates that we could see, in your estimation, changing addresses come next season? Because we, we know this team is not going to look like this when the, the season opens up next year. 
Yeah, and we're st- and we're talking about. I still find it so bizarre to be talking about a team that less than a year ago we're talking about being in the Stanley Cup final. Like you know, know. how quickly so many things have come have, have come unraveled. And uh, it, you're you know they they made they made a lot of moves in 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 the, the Mark Bergevin just before Kent Hughes, like a lot of different you know. And it's funny uh, Max Domi who went in the Josh Anderson trade. He's a guy that's up as an unrestricted free agent somewhere else. I think you know yes. you mentioned Petrie. I think I think that. That's the kingpin there. There's a lot of other, there's a lot of other ones that just aren't really good contracts, which you know are always tough to move. Um, it's funny you mentioned Columbus though, but you know what was the mystery about? We it was just assumed Josh Anderson didn't want to play in Columbus. You know what I mean? Like it just just whatever it was, and it he moved was... on. And, and and I I think that would I love this guy. Yeah. I think that would that would be a great fit as far as getting something of value back. So I think because obviously we're not talking about you know the kids. You want to keep all the young kids right now. But I think when you mention Petrie and Anderson, those are the two ones to me that have the most value uh, that jump out at me. So what I believe about the Anderson situation in Columbus. Um, I believe that his camp and the agent there is Darren Ferris with Cortex, that it was either going to be uh, that Anderson wanted either a one-year deal, which would have walked him to free agency, or he wanted an eight-year deal and nothing in between. And I don't think that was palatable to uh, Yarmo Kekalainen at all, that I think Yarmo wanted something in, in between one and eight. Uh, but the camp was either, you know, if we're in for a penny, we're in for a pound. Uh, mm-hmm. We want a long one or we want one that walks us to free. Because, I mean, if if you look at, you know, I'm always curious about, you know, how the um, how, how various agents behave. And if you look at Darren Ferris's history, you know, he he sort of, you know, goes out of his way to try to walk his guys to free agency. Like that's how he, you know, strategically structures contracts and negotiations. And it sounds like they were going to try to do the same thing with Josh Anderson, either the one year deal that walked him to free agency or the eight year significant commitment at a top dollar. That's so, so, that's how yeah. I believe it went down. OK, so it's kind of it would be kind of interesting. This would almost be like Sebastian Ajo getting the deal he wanted by, by signing an offer sheet with Montreal and Carolina <laughs> It, right, this would be kind of okay. So Josh Anderson goes somewhere else, gets his contract. Yeah, he but then Yarmo can say, "Yeah, we already got the years off of it that we didn't want." <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. both but walk just, away uh, satisfied. That that you know that that is a, a an interesting uh, you bring up because what a weird you know situation in 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 Columbus about you know Pierre Luc Dubois like Pierre Luc Dubois was the MVP in the series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, that that was the Smythe Trophy winner of that one particular playoff series in the bubble. And then he's yep. basically gone at the start of the season. So, um, yeah, so Columbus uh, doing um, whatever you want to call it, retooling or whatever they are. And then in Montreal's case, like, like, like again, you know, when you talk about trading away, like you're you're hard against the cap, and you don't have a lot of a you don't like you know like you, people love Brendan Gallagher, but that's not an attractive contract to take, you know, for example. So yeah. you know, just uh, so so it's it's really particularly with the, yesterday the formality of what we knew, you know, basically a flat cap world that's just going up one million. You know, that even adds more and more about you know why we saw Dodonov, you know, for that cap space that teams value so much. Really, that's what most teams are looking to get. Interesting day yesterday and uh, interesting morning today, Gord John Tortorella. Uh, we've been talking about him for a couple of weeks now and, um, you know, Kevin Weeks uh, did some excellent reporting on him this week as well. Uh, he's named the, uh, the the new head coach, 23rd in the history of the Philadelphia Flyers. And he, here's the analogy that I've been raising. Let me know because you would, you would know this person as well, the late, great Fred Shiro. I've always measured Philadelphia Flyers coaches up against the standard of Fred Shiro. And rightly or wrongly, uh, fairly or unfairly, you look at Fred Shiro, he's the only coach to have brought the Stanley Cup to Philadelphia in 74 and 75. Um, And much like John Tortorella, here's where I see a similarity. Fred Shiro was always looked at in Philadelphia as thug coach. Oh, they bullied their way to the Stanley Cup. Don Schultz, Dave Schultz, and Don Seleski, and and Dog, and everybody like they they pushed teams around. They bullied their way to the Stanley Cup. But when you peel back the onion on the Philadelphia Flyers, 
you know, you saw structurally someone who borrowed a lot from Anatoly Tarasov in Soviet hockey, certainly by way of passing instead of uh, rushing single-handedly with the puck. We know that Shira was a, a, a big fan of Soviet hockey and Anatoly Tarasov specifically. And if you look at John Tortorella, you may look at him and say, old school, dinosaur, he's gruff, and, you know, doesn't like the Trevor Zegras's of the world. He's from a different generation. But when you peel the onion as well, and you look at what he did with Columbus, and you look at what he did with New York previous as well, you see someone who, much like Fred Shiro, you know, under that veneer of toughness, was a pretty progressive coach and still is. Your thoughts on that analogy, as strained as you may think it might be, between Fred Shiro and John Tortorella, and your thoughts on John Tortorella, the, the new head coach of Philadelphia. Actually, I love that analogy, and I'm going to throw a second one out there because uh, you and Elliot were talking about you know Barry Trotz being first choice. It's not something the Flyers yes. have admitted, but Barry Trotz being first choice. So in, in some ways, you, you got John Tortorella being second. And I just know firsthand, I always love the story about the hottest coach out there a number of decades ago was Bill LaForge uh, making oh the jump from junior, and he was committed to the Vancouver Canucks while his team was in the Memorial Cup. He hadn't signed the deal yet, and what Bobby Clark knocked on his hotel door during the Memorial Cup to try to, to offer them a job as head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. He said, no, I've already committed to Vancouver. And when Bobby Clark uh, introduced the next head coach, he acknowledged that it had been LaForge they were after. So the runner-up was Mike Keenan, who uh, you know went on to have uh, a great run with the Montreal Canadiens. You know, Fred Sherrod was called Freddie the Fog. And, and, um, and it was an endearing term, not a disrespectful term. It's a bit like that eccentric professor that actually connects with you and is a genius and maybe is one of the best teachers that you've ever had. They were tough because the bully team of the six teams, the new six, were the St. Louis Blues. They kicked that's the crap right. out of the Philadelphia Flyers, okay? They, I mean, they, they, so that's the first three, three years or so when tough yeah. hockey was coming into play. Philadelphia needed – so that, that was one reason uh, they uh, – evolved into that kind of style of play but yeah you you don't you don't win two stanley cups just being the broad street bullies they're you know the structural play the commitment the overall and as you mentioned back then 1972 we were getting a taste of what the soviet union was all about you know team canada didn't win eight straight easily in that summit series so he was a he, he was a, a kind of an eccentric guy but ahead of his time. And uh, I don't know if, like, like John Tortorella is a little bit more down to earth, right? He's kind of more the guy that you'd have a beer with and kind of get in fun discussion. I think I think Freddie sounds like the guy you'd have a brandy with or something and, in, in, uh, you know, in the, in the professors in the library in the university or something and what have you. But I think I think that's a, a good comparable. And also, both both end up being big figures. You know, uh, Fred Sherrill became a big figure in Philadelphia, but just big presence, big presence. And, and John Tortorella certainly certainly has that. You know, the one thing that we do know about the Philadelphia Flyers, Elliot and I have been talking about this the last little while as well, is that Philadelphia needs a good start next season. Now, we don't know what the Philadelphia Flyers are going to look like. Like, we've wondered, listen, we've, I think we've all wondered about the future of Ivan Provorov with the Philadelphia Flyers. I think we've wondered, you know, which free agents uh, they could go looking at. Like, the Johnny Gaudreau rumors have been out there for weeks, uh, if not months now. You know, oh, Kevin Hayes' buddy, he's going to bring him into the Philadelphia Flyers organization. But then when you talk to anyone around Philadelphia, they'll say, like, that's fine, but where are we going to get the cap space? You know, I think we've all wondered about Nazem Kadri and whether that could be a fit or he could be a fit, rather, with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, the, the one thing that we do know is that this team will probably look different. Uh, we don't know whether it's going to be full of kids or whether they're going to try to, because we all know Philadelphia doesn't want to take too much of a step back. They always want to be competitive. And now with the new head coach, you think they'd really want to be competitive. I don't know whether they're going to have any type of youth movement, either uh, insignificant or significant, or they go the route of, you know, let, let's load up on some more veteran players. Let's see what free agency brings with it. Do, do you have a sense of which way the Philadelphia Flyers go here now that they have the new head coach installed? Well, in that press conference a couple of months ago, the president made it more confusing about the blank credit card Chuck Fletcher had oh, in an era where a, a blank credit card means nothing. You know? Agents, Gord, agents got very excited when Dave Scott said blank check. Yeah. Agents yeah. were very interested. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great news. Yeah, it's like your kid using your Visa card, and then you say, no, by the way, we're at the limit, okay? So that's great. You can <laughs> use it, and uh, basically you'll have to return, or, you or, or you know. So, so I, but I, I'm a big on Chuck Fletcher, big on Chuck yes, Fletcher, so and, um, 
And boy, he did a lot of things last year, you know, like, so it's not like he's been sitting on his hands and, you know, the, the kind of kidding about, we can't keep having this pattern anymore. One solid year, then a setback, one solid year, then a setback, of course, tongue in cheek. Well, yeah, you did stop the pattern, but not, not, not in the regard that you wanted to. Um, They talk a lot. Now, are you hearing as well, like Ryan Ellis, of course, it always becomes a situation yep. when a guy, they played well at the start. And I know Ryan Ellis, like what, played four games or six. I can't remember the number, yep. but very, very few. And so there is this, okay, okay, things that, that was the whole point. That's why we got him. That, that was the key guy with, you know, with uh, Ristolainen and everybody else getting him. And have, have you heard whether he's coming back or not? I'd heard things that he may not be fully healthy for the start of next season. I don't know. But it seemed to be, you know, that's the guy that they're banking a lot on. I, I, I think in some ways, um, I I know you know like, like those moves are interesting. Like you know you know I mentioned Pierre Luc Dubois earlier in Columbus. I mean Provorov's like that in Philadelphia, right? Like these guys that you thought, okay, five years down the road, I'll tell you three or four players that will be with the team. Um, you know some of those other signings, like James Van Riemsdyk, was that kind of signing like we're alluding comparable to a Johnny Goodrow or an Azam Kadre or whatever. You know a few years mm-hmm. ago, and now they're talking about possibly buying him out. So it's it's yeah. it's a real conundrum there. But I I I, I think it, there's going to be a hockey trade. I think there's going to be a real hockey trade. Uh, okay, so I'll, let me try to pull out a couple of points there. So one thing about Ryan Ellis. So I think the Ryan Ellis situation is tied to Ivan Provorov. And the one thing, Gord, that the Philadelphia Flyers have never recovered from was the bubble and what happened after the bubble and specifically Matt Niskanen saying, after that experience, I'm done. Like, I, I, was, I was pretty surprised, considering how miserable players were playing bubble hockey, um, that Matt Niskanen, you know, was, you know, the, the only one who came out and said, I'm finished, that, that, just, that just ended hockey for me. And the Philadelphia Flyers haven't recovered from that decision. And specifically, Ivan Provorov has never recovered from losing Matt Niskanen as his partner. Hmm. Um, he, uh, I think Matt Niskanen in this most recent generation is one of the more underrated players, one of the more underrated defensemen. If you look at all the younger players that he helped shepherd, it is, it is impressive. And that was always the plan with the Philadelphia Flyers, that Mas- Matt Niskanen was going to be the one that aided uh, Ivan Provorov, and he hasn't been the same guy since Niskanen yeah. called it a career. And I'm pretty sure that Ryan Ellis was brought in to be the new Matt Niskanen for Ivan Provorov. So as much as we may hear about, oh, they're going to get rid of Provorov, and they still might. Uh, they've given up on Provorov. They're going to see what they can get. You know, he's got some 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 price guarantee to him. He's under contract. I wonder how much they still want to give Provorov one more chance to play with Ryan Ellis who was brought in to essentially be the new Matt Niskanen. Because to your point, Ryan Ellis only played a couple of games. I think he played four or or six games. And I think he was brought in to be that the new Matt Niskanen for for Ivan Provo. Yeah, you know, and and you're right about uh, the worst thing is trading someone when their value is at their lowest. It's funny. I think I always think of Andre Markov, another one, a very underrated guy during his time with the Montreal Canadiens as a D. But, you know, let's talk about Philadelphia Flyer culture and how screwed up last year was. Like, Bob Clark has preached about the team, the team, the team. And even, uh, although I'm glad they've mended fences, but, you know, he tore a strip off Eric Lindros because Eric Lindros was questioning the the medical staff, the training staff, whatever it was, you know. And Bob Clark got the siege mentality. And yet, he throws Ron Hextall under the bus. Like, you know, just in that podcast, like he's, or the show, like he just tears a strip off a a, a flyer great that, you know, was a general manager and did a lot of positive things. And, and he, and he, which was strange. I mean, that added to the bizarreness about uh, what a weird year it was in Philadelphia. One of the gold standards of how you operate a front office and how you operate an organization as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it is really interesting as well uh, how much stroke people like uh, Bob Clark, people like Paul Holmgren still hold in that organization. Yeah. So what's, what's some of the things you've heard the past couple of days about the Flyers alumni and those two people specifically? Oh, this is, this is a choice that the alumni approves on. Like, I'm not saying that it's, it's right or wrong or, or it's good or bad. Just I don't know another organization, Gord, in the NHL where their alumni and their two key alumnists – Paul Holmgren and Bob Clark still have that much sway and that much stroke over personnel decisions. Well, I can't think of another one. Yeah. 
Well, Chuck Fletcher started in Florida with Bob Clark, right? Cliff Fletcher, Cliff Fletcher yes. and Bob Clark are tight, and and, and Chuck, uh, the, there's no nepotism involved now. Chuck, Chuck did a solid job for Bob Clark there, and that, that that's as big a reason as anything, uh, as big a reason as anything that uh, Chuck Fletcher's general manager there. So yeah, and, and and I just it's just weird for someone to you know take a shot at you know somebody else somebody else that way. Just the kind of season that made no sense from a from a team from an organization that really like and the I mean, they were the Montreal did, did it of the big six, the best, or the, the original six, and then Philadelphia yep. of the next six. There's no question they they were like I I always admired that, and now teams more and more have emulated that, and that's because that kind of crap never got out there for starters. I prefer the term the solvent six. Maybe we can start <laughs> going with that from now on. The solvent six. I put okay. that one. Court. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's uh, uh, end end this conversation here with a little, uh, thought on the Stanley Cup final, uh, Colorado. Like, oh boy, what a display. Um, uh, that first 10 minutes was amazing. The Landeskog goal quickly. Um, Valerian Nachushkin, you know, if, if people don't know about Valerian Nachushkin or haven't known about Valerian Nachushkin in Colorado so far, they certainly know about him now. I, I keep going back and forth and trying to figure out whether that was Gabriel Landeskog's uh, game or that was Valerian Nachushkin's game. Nonetheless, Colorado win in overtime. Um, and if I'm Tampa, I'm saying to myself, that's okay because... That was anything but Victor Hedman's best game. That was anything but Andre Vasilevsky's best game. That was anything other than Anthony Sorelli's best game. If I'm John Cooper and the Bolts, I'm saying, you know, we're not going to get performances like that again. And still, we were one shot away from taking a one nothing series lead. Uh, how did you see game one? What do you expect for game two? Yeah, boy, Nishushkin, like, uh, again, when we're talking about making trades, a great example. Like, what was it? He didn't score in something like 90 games as a forward? With Zero goals in the season. Yeah. And then <laughs> for Valerian and, and, and you tap on the other seat. Anyway, whatever it may be. So that's why, you know, Colorado got him, got him for a song. And that's, that's where your scouting really comes to play, understanding certain variables and certain potential that he's certainly he's realized there. Uh, I uh, like for Colorado to have um, a first period Vasilevsky uh, showing to be human is great, but the Toronto Maple Leafs experienced that and, you know, thought they had the edge and lo and behold, and maybe the Rangers for a bit with the way Shesterkin was playing. Yeah, he's going to come back. Like, I, I when, again, I'm going way back to the 67 team just because I did the book on that team with Damian Cox mm-hmm. and one of the lines Dave Keon said, they, they won in six against Montreal and the first game um, they lost, I'm trying to remember, the first game against first game against Chicago or Montreal, whatever and they lost, like, say, six to two and it kind of it said, you know, uh, like, if that's as bad as we play and we, we just kind of, you know, and, and it was just like this, like we can still beat them, right? It just, and I, I think your, your point is, is right about that. If you're Tampa Bay, you're kind of saying, okay, yeah, Victor Hedman, you kidding me? You're going to be no better defenseman in, in the playoffs. Same with, same with, you know, uh, same with the goaltending. And then we almost went in an overtime, which that would have been a killer. That would have been a killer for Colorado, oh. like a two-goal lead at home with that kind of crowd and Tampa Bay doing like the dagger they do in the waning seconds. You know, in Florida, they got that goal with seconds to go. Palat's goal with under, what, two minutes to go last series. And, and they do it one more time in game one. You know, do you have a th- – there is – um. There was a lot of free agents, unrestricted free agents that, uh, you know, uh, made people notice them uh, the other night in game one. Whether it is, we mentioned Valeri Nachushkin, uh, Nick Paul as well. Um, uh, you know, there was Andre Palat. Um, of all those UFAs that we saw score goals, Nick Paul, Valeri Nachushkin, Andre Palat, how many do you think actually make it to market? Like I know Colorado is going to be in a crunch, but how do you not how do you not bring Valeri Nachushkin back? Andre Palat has been so Im- important; like he's like a mini Hosa for that team. To say nothing of what Nick Paul has been able to do on that on that you know that new third line for the uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, how many do you think make it to market yeah. of those UFAs? Because, you, you know, and, and of course, Nazem Kadri didn't play, but that's another one we know of. I don't know if Burakovsky's one, too. I'm trying to think. He but, is. But, yes, uh, he yeah. is. Yes. Sorry, so I, I forgot about him. Burakovsky so, as well. You know, so it's kind of like Julian Brisbois had this 
good structure to kind of, you know, stop, I want to say the bleeding, that's not the right word, you know, but just the reality of success. And, you know, Tyler Johnson was a guy, again, they had to make a trade and get some cap space back, you know, little bit by little bit. And and and, to, and then also let Coleman and Goodrow go somewhere else. They, they serve their purpose, you know, at a good contract. And now with Hagel, they have that kind of player uh, at a decent contract. Of course, they had that player in, in Nick Paul, but he's up, as you mentioned. And yeah, Palat was, was the, the next challenge. I mean, he, he kind of was the, the next challenge out there. I mean, is he, is he a guy they have to Tyler Johnson somewhere else or, or not? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that, that's, a guy, that's a guy you're really going to really want to keep. And, obviously, you know, when, when they get Nick Paul, they know, they know what they're doing. Um, they, they probably have numbers figured out and ways to go. Same with Vegas. I mean, we know, and that's one reason Vegas, that $5 million they thought they got rid of when Dodonov months ago they got rid of once again. So, yeah, that's the, that's the double-edged challenge. But uh, uh, I think, you know, when you go back to Nichuchkin's, like quite often when a guy hits to, gets to a certain spot, uh, if the money is, is, is good – Relatively mm-hmm. speaking, it, it means a lot to succeed and have that team success and thrive. It depends uh, uh, if there's somewhere else offering X amount more than, um, you know, and you take it, then quite often, uh, I, know, I know Doug Gilmore talked about that, that he, he, he wished he stayed in New Jersey with Lou Lamorello, but Chicago mm-hmm. offered more money, and at that point, uh, the belief was they were going to sign Brett Hall, right? So, and right. they didn't. So he went to Chicago, more money, way less happiness. You know, he was in a better spot in New Jersey. And that's what the, and that's just one example. There's many other examples like that. So that's going to be a part of what I think those guys are going to have to look at because there will be a team out there that will have more money to offer the likes of Nachuskin, whatever his market value may be. Yeah, I always think of the great Bob McCowan line, don't F with happy. If you're happy, figure out a figure out a way to stay. Uh, wh- one more day without NHL action, Gord. Are you uh, are you tennising today? Uh, I never thought of McCowan being happy all the time, but anyway, it's good <laughs> to hear from Bob McCowan. I I will be tennising tomorrow and Sunday. How about that? I'll, uh, okay, yes, excellent. and actually, uh, and actually Sunday, an epic Father's Day battle myself and son Justin against uh, Mark Jasmack and his son Peter before he goes to work at camp. How about that? Oh, that's a nice one. Now, uh, who's favorite in that one? Uh, but I would say, uh, let's see, the, uh, I think the Stelics because Justin, just solely because of Justin. I'm kind of the wily veteran at the net, and uh, yeah. Justin's got a little, little bit more oomph, a little bit more pop from the baseline. Well, good luck to the Stelics in that uh, epic showdown on Sunday. And uh, listen, thanks as always for stopping by. Enjoy your Father's Day weekend, my friend. Hey, yeah, happy Father's Day to everybody. I know it's a big one for you always, and yeah, everybody yes. out there, enjoy that and enjoy the game tomorrow night for sure. You're awesome. Thanks, Gordo. Thank you. Gord Stella, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, along with Scott Lachlan, um, and has been here on this frequency in Toronto, uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan. I don't think Gord was a day oneer, but was pretty close uh, to being a day oneer. And anyone listening in the Toronto area, when I say lunch bag letdown, automatically you think of the great Gord Stalick. We always appreciate him stopping by the show. Trevor Georgie is the president and general manager of the St. John Sea Dogs. Uh, they are the host team. Uh, and host town for the Memorial Cup. Uh, the field uh, was set two days ago um, by Hamilton beating Windsor. So it'll be Schwinnigan from the Q, Hamilton from the O, and Edmonton from the dub. Trevor Georgie joins me to tee up the tournament, tee up uh, his team, uh, and his future as well. That is a name you will want to remember. Trevor Georgie uh, joins me next on the Merrick Show uh, across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Glad to have you aboard. Uh, we are standing by. Do we have Trevor aboard? Is Trevor here? Trevor Georgie from St. John's Sea Dog. Trevor, you there? Okay, we're we're trying to get uh, we're trying to get Trevor on board here. Trevor Georgie, the president and general manager of the St. John Sea Dogs, uh, very much looking forward to this conversation with Trevor. When you look at um, people who are considered the next ones or the, the rising stars in management uh, around the NHL, because these people don't just grow on trees, ladies and gentlemen. These people get developed in various hockey places. Um, my uh, junior hockey in Canada is certainly one of those. Um, Trevor Georgie is uh, on top of a lot of lists. When you look around the CHL and say, "Okay, who are the who are the next ones to uh, to, to to make the jump?" 
to the National Hockey League. Um, Trevor Georgie's on that list, as is Steve Steos, as is Kyle Raptus, these types of people. Um, but before that, the St. John Sea Dogs are hosting the Memorial Cup. And this is a tournament that forever has been near and dear um, to my heart. As a matter of fact, when I came over uh, to Sportsnet from CBC, um, uh, part of my initial uh, phone calls, initial conversations with Sportsnet, you know, part of the lure was getting to be able to work the Memorial Cup. Uh, we no longer have the rights, but that doesn't mean I'm not watching this thing. It is the Memorial Cup hosted by the St. John Sea Dogs, Shawinigan, Hamilton, Edmonton, and the aforementioned St. John Sea Dogs. The president and general manager is Trevor Georgie. He joins me now. How are you today, Trevor? I'm great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, good, man. First of all, uh, I know you're looking forward to this one. Uh, I know planning has been, uh, well, it, it's got to be really difficult because on the one hand, uh, I know you have a, a hand in a lot of it. I know you have an organizing crew. There's a, an event crew that, that handles a lot of this, uh, but I know you oversee a lot of it as well. And it's been a, a challenging year or it must have been a challenging year for you. One, trying to help plan the Memorial Cup, which is a huge beast, as we all know. And then two, still trying to ice a competitive team that you know will be competing for the Memorial Cup. Essentially, Trevor, I'm asking, oh, and by the way, you're planning a wedding too. You're getting married in July. So quite the year for Trevor Georgie. Uh, How much have you slept all season, Trevor? Uh, 12 hours, maybe. That's about it. No, that's about it. No, I appreciate it. Look, I, I appreciate it. It's been a really busy year, but we wouldn't want it any other way. Um, we always uh, say that uh, um, that uh, we're fortunate to be in this position. We're fortunate to not have those uh, the, those sleep hours because it means that uh, we're working on something that's, uh, that's really special. And that's going to be the biggest Memorial Cup. Uh, in the history uh, of Memorial Cups uh, in terms of the programming, really ambitious schedule. So um, there's the hockey tournament, but we've got 10 days of concerts in a brand new shipping container village that was launched here in St. John's. So we've got like Classified and David Miles and uh, Alan Doyle, a lot of big acts coming. Strumbellas are here on Saturday night. So there's Ooh. that going on. We have a speaker series uh, focused on uh, inclusivity and uh, accessibility uh, in hockey. And and so when we said they didn't want to host the Memorial Cup, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just celebrating the past, but talking about the future and how we can leave a mark on the game uh, for the next 102 Memorial Cups. So those are just a few of the things, but uh, aggressive programming and, uh, and uh, um, culminating to this. But uh, yeah, it's been busy. Uh, it's been certainly really busy. Really busy, Jeff. Uh, is, uh, how did the how did the uh, take us back even to you know before it was announced you were going to host? What was the pitch process like for you? I mean, ultimately you ended up um, uh, getting the nod over the Quebec Ramparts. Um, what was the pitch process like for you? Yeah, well, we looked at what are what we are and uh, what we aren't, and you know we're not Quebec City here in Saint John, New Brunswick. It's not uh, a market of that size. Obviously, they have uh, tremendous facilities, and uh, you know they can host any world class event that they'd like. Um, our focus is really on um, again not just celebrating the past, but you know we're you've been here, you've visited, like we're a very inclusive oh, yeah. organization and consider ourselves quite progressive. And our, our focus is really on okay, um, you know. We want this Memorial Cup to be reflective of of the community and reflective of of the team and our values. And um, they said, okay, we can, we can host a great hockey tournament. We know we can do that here at TT Station. But uh, what can we do to really make a mark on on, on hockey? And um, you know, our focus was really on um, you know a sustainable event where every everyone's walking distance from all the different event venues and uh, restaurants and uh, and meeting spaces. But also, how do we Use it to be um, use this event to as a platform to, to you know dial in and focus in and, and have conversations on important topics around uh, you know women's hockey and inclusivity and in, uh, in the sport and um, I, I think we're gonna nail it I really I really do mm-hmm. that's excellent Trevor um, let me ask you about your team um, second half of the season much different than the first half you guys ended on this this great winning streak. Um, a much different team than we saw at the beginning of the season. You made a number of moves to help improve the team. Uh, I know that there was a you know a flu bug going through the through the squad. First round exit against Vermuski, uh, and then uh, you part ways with their head coach Gordy Dwyer. Uh, Gardner McDougall comes in, the UNB legend, and also Rocky Thompson uh, comes in as a consultant. You would have crossed paths with Rocky at the 
2017 Memorial Cup that the the Windsor Spitfires would have hosted uh, when Rocky was was coaching that squad. Um, first of all, take us take us back to the to that decision to to part ways with with Gordy Dwyer and bring in Gardner McDougall on an interim capacity. Yeah, we had a great second half uh, of the, uh, the regular. We had a really good second half. Uh, I think we lost two home games uh, after, uh, you know, after the beginning of February um, in the regular season uh, here in in St. John. Fifteen game winning streak. I think with the best winning, with the top winning percentage in in the country, I believe in, in that second half. So, you know, Gordy and his team did a, a great job of uh, you know of, of putting that together. And these are human decisions. They're, they're tough decisions to make. But after that first round exit, we really, you know, evaluated what we needed to do and um, how what gave our team the best chance to win. And we we identified uh, coaches that had either, um, you know, one been to Memorial Cup um, and one two had experienced what we had experienced in terms of uh, being eliminated early, and then. Um, prepared their team and won, and three or three coaches that had uh, a lot of tournament experience, so just preparing teams for a short tournament. Uh, so Gardner McDougall, uh, we believe, gave us the best chance uh, behind the bench. You know, he's won seven national championships in those notorious knockout tournaments, um, and uh, he's won 14 Atlantic Division championships. So uh, the other thing is he's very familiar with our team. Um, uh, his son's an agent. He actually has a number of clients on our team, and Gardner would be recruiting from our league. So really familiar with our team despite being in CIS. And then Rocky Thompson. I mean, Rocky uh, certainly, I know, Jeff, you know him as well. He's not uh, – yeah. uh, how he played on the ice is not how he has off the ice. You know, he's a really, really <laughs> sharp, you know, eloquent, you know, um, interesting guy. And, uh, you know, that Windsor team, uh, we were there, and uh, they were knocked out early by the London Knights in the first round, and he lived through it. And yep. uh, you know that type of information you you learn from you learn from smart people and and um, you know, having a guy like Rocky uh, available to us to guide us and help help guide our plan and and help us uh, help us think through things that he's already experienced. I mean that experience is is invaluable. So we just felt that gives the best uh, the best chance to uh, to uh, uh, win here uh, next week. It helps too. The Rockies kind of a St. John legend, having played for the Flames and playing how he did for the Flames, Trevor. Absolutely, a lot of fans were really, really excited about uh, Rocky and being involved with the team. And Gardner, of course, a legend. You know, an hour up the street in Fredericton. Um, you know, certainly, um, certainly, they were welcomed with open arms uh, by by the by the community. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot now. So every now and then, you know, throughout a season, uh, I get asked the question: you know, which coaches are ready to make the jump from, uh, you know, from from junior hockey to, uh, to either the AHL or the NHL? And I'll always get question, uh, questions as well about managers and who's ready to to take that take that next step. And you know, this year specifically, the answers that I've been giving are Steve Steos and Hamilton. Uh, Kyle Raftus in the Sioux and Trevor Georgie in St. John. I know you still have a Memorial Cup on the horizon and that's front and center for you. But when you hear like next steps for Trevor Georgie and we can see this guy in the NHL someday, what goes through your mind? Well, it's really nice. Um, certainly it'd be, you know, it'd be a dream one day to, uh, to get the chance to do that. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it would certainly be a dream to do that. You know, I, I really uh, fortunate here in my situation in St. John with uh, an owner that uh, treats me like a son in, in Scott McCain. And um, and we've had a chance to do some really exciting things here and still have a chance to do some really exciting things in the future together. Um, but uh, certainly if an opportunity like that came up, uh, it would be exciting. But uh, I can tell you, Jeff, and it sounds so hockey cliche, and I feel like, I am everything but hockey cliche based on based That's on my true. based on so many different uh, things, but uh, uh, I really have been uh, have been focused on this Memorial Cup. We've, we've been building this team here since uh, 2018. We were devastated in 2017, and uh, every ounce of energy has been focused on on giving our group here the best chance to win. And 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 uh, I'll focus on all that other stuff uh, once uh, once the Memorial Cup's over and once I'm once I'm married. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, you, you got a, you got you got a couple of big ones. I'm not gonna ask you to to put those uh, in order either. Don't worry, I don't want to get out of the uh, the tournament uh, or the uh, or the or the or, or the marriage in hot water with you here. 
what should we look forward to in this one? Like I've, I've talked to a lot about Shawinigan, Hamilton, and Edmonton this week here on the program. Uh, we've talked about St. John previously. Like when, when you look at this tournament, and I know you like ground zero for it, hosting and also you know GM of this team. Um, but what do you what do you make of this of this year's field? I mean, I'm not going to ask you about the Sea Dogs. You you talked about them, but Shawinigan, Hamilton, and Edmonton. I mean, Edmonton looks like a traveling all star team. You know, Shawinigan with players like Maverick Bork and Hamilton's got you know a number of uh, well led by Mason McTavish, uh, a, a lot of first round picks and you know high uh, high prospects in the in the NHL. How would you handicap this field if you could? I mean, it's a really. Um... It's a really good. Uh, it's a really good field this year. I know you and I have discussed in years past how you know, I think in 2017 the field was really strong with that Uri team in Windsor. Oh boy, and Seattle was Seattle was beaten up by the time they made it. But uh, you know, Matthew Barzell, really Matthew Barzell, yeah, and Ethan Barzell. Bear on that team. Yeah, I, 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 absolutely. And that that Uri team. Um, I think their goal song was uh, "Shout" by the Isley Brothers. It still gives me nightmares. So uh, that <laughs> that a really really good group. Um, but so look, this year, this year, it's a really good field. I mean, um, you know, we're focused on our team and what we need to do. But um, you know, certainly, just watching and uh, and analyzing, and also just enjoying really good hockey. Um, that I mean, that Windsor Hamilton series was was tremendous. Oh, um, anyway, the re- really good teams. I mean, the team like Edmonton with uh, what was it four first round NHL picks. Yeah. Um, you, know, you look at Shawinigan. That uh, you know, this year Shawinigan didn't have their full. A compliment uh, until really the playoffs because of uh, of injuries. So, um, you know, for them to have their full team here, um, it's, it's I mean, it's a it's a really good field. But I also for our group, um, we're, we're underdogs as hosts coming into this. But uh, you know, we've, we have eight NHL drafted players on our team, and um, you know, I I I believe in our group, and uh, we just want the best version of ourselves to give uh, give ourselves the best chance to win. But it's a uh, it's a great field, and uh, and uh, those teams are, are really tremendous. You got a great organization. Uh, you mentioned Scott McCain a couple of seconds ago. First class owner. You know, every junior hockey team should be blessed to have someone like that and someone as as generous and, and willing to spend on junior hockey uh, as Scott is. Listen, Trevor, as I as I bid you good afternoon. I wish you nothing but success, man. Like you, I know how work how hard you've worked. At hosting this thing, I remember having conversations with you uh, in Windsor at that tournament about how one day you'd love uh, for St. John to uh, to host this thing, and it's here. Uh, it all gets underway next week. Well, it gets underway this weekend with uh, the parties and the bands and everything, but and the Strombellas. Um, listen, I wish you the most success. Uh, should be a great tournament. I'll certainly be tuned in, even though it's now with the evil telecom. I will still be watching, uh, as you well know, Trevor, and we wish you and your group all the all the success in the world. I appreciate it. won't be the same tournament without you here, Jeff. No one no one uh, is at the pulse of junior hockey uh, uh like you and even though you're not you're not here, I know you'll be you'll be right at the pulse of it all. I'll be watching. Thanks, Trev. You be well. Good luck, pal. Thanks, man. Okay, see you, Jeff. Uh, Trevor Georgie is the uh, president and general manager of the St. John Sea Dogs. Uh, the Memorial Cup field is set, and this should be a good like 2017. Like that was holy jeez. Like when I go back and look at you know some of the names that were in that term, like that St. John team, you know Matthew Joseph and and Thomas Shabbat, um, and I look at that we mentioned Matthew Barzell and, and Ethan Bear on that Seattle squad. Ryan Gropp was a great junior hockey player too. That Erie Otters team. Uh, was elite. Uh, Dylan Strom, Alex Debrinkit, uh that was just, oh, uh, an exceptional, uh, exceptional team. And what a wild final as well uh, with the uh, with the Windsor Spitfires. Mikhail Sergachev, who you'll see tomorrow, was, uh, was on that squad. That was a really good team. Um, Rocky Thompson coaching uh, that Windsor squad. And I remember hanging out with uh, with Bob Bugner in the uh, in the box, one of the owners, and and uh, and Bundy Warren Reichel as well, uh, who was uh, who was a show in his own. If you've ever watched, if you've ever watched a general manager watch a game, there is none more animated, or there was none more animated than Warren Reichel watching his Windsor Spitfires. That was a TV show. On its own, uh, that one was outstanding. Uh, it's been a fun week, uh, big weekend on the horizon. Don't forget tomorrow it is Game Two. It is Tampa. It is Colorado. Colorado with the one-game series lead over the Tampa Bay Lightning. But as we've been talking about over the past couple of days, you know that wasn't exactly the best effort we've seen from Tampa, and still they were right there with that dynamic Colorado Avalanche squad. 
And I know we've been talking a lot about Tampa and how Hedman didn't have his best game. Vasilevsky didn't have his best game. Man, you really got to give it to Colorado because they're facing off against the defending two-time Stanley Cup champions. And that was a game that they needed to have. And they get out early to that 2 nothing lead. And then all of a sudden... You know, Tampa starts to begin to claw its way back. It's 2-1. to one. It's 3-1 to one after the first period. And then Tampa just refuses to die. And Colorado refused to wilt. This is the heavyweight matchup of the season in the NHL. Enjoy Game 2 tomorrow. Uh, I want to thank all of my guests. Uh, Trevor Georgie, St. John's Sea Dogs President and General Manager. Uh, big thank you to Gord Stelic, as always, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. Bruce Cassidy of the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, their newly minted head coach, who was introduced to the media yesterday, introduced to this program today. And Elliot Friedman uh, from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Thanks, as always, to my producer, Matt Marchese. Merrick Show returns Monday across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Enjoy Game 2 tomorrow, everybody, on Hockey Night in Canada.